Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another week of our stay-at-home Sunday morning podcast. At this point, we are well into the month of June, and uh, I just can't believe, looking back over the last year plus, that we are still recording these. Uh, It's great, and I know as I've monitored activity online and seen uh, seen that, yeah, a number of you still are tuning in for these, but that number continues to decline, and at the same time, uh, there's been people showing up back with us in person. And so we're thankful that things in our society have just progressed to the point where we're able to uh, commit ourselves to being there in person a little more regularly. Uh, So that all being said, I believe that uh, when July rolls around, I think we're going to stop recording these and we'll just invite you to join us in person or to tune into the live stream. We'll still provide that. Uh, But we just believe that uh, there's just no substitute for the kind of community we can build when we are Uh, holding to that habit of meeting together regularly. And so uh, we are excited to see faces we haven't seen in a while and excited to continue to grow together. Uh, So enjoy today's podcast. Enjoy the podcast the next couple of weeks. Uh, Get the most out of it because it is going away. It won't be here forever. Um, Today we're going to be picking up the story of Judges. Uh, Last week we talked about Israel's first king who died at the end of Judges chapter 9 this king that was not appointed by God, this king that was chosen by the people, uh, Abimelech, who was a wicked king who did terrible things. And we're moving on to Judges 10 today. And as we get into Judges 10, I was tempted to just skip the first few verses because uh, they end up attesting to a couple of leaders who rule for uh, really a, a number of decades each, but there's not a whole lot recorded there. So I thought, man, these verses are an easy skip. We just won't take any time. But then I was reminded how I was just saying last week, there are no throwaway verses in the Bible. And so, the, you know, the author must have put these here for some reason. And so we'll at least read them. And then I have, you know, a little bit of a takeaway that I just feel like God's put on my heart uh, to point out. And so uh, there's these two judges mentioned at the beginning of chapter 10. The first one's a man from Issachar. He's named Tola, the son of Pua, and the son of Dodo. And he rose to save Israel, it says. He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he led Israel for 23 years, and then he died and was buried in Shamir. He was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys, and they controlled 30 towns in Gilead, which to this day are called Havoth Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Camon. So, not a lot there. Uh, these two judges' lives seem to have gone, and their rules seem to have gone relatively peacefully. Uh, but I think one of the most telling aspects of, of this account of their lives is that there is no language at all ascribing any kind of divine intent or any kind of divine action in their rule. Whereas earlier in the book of Judges, God's actions are explicitly written into most of the narrative of Judges, uh, here we are, and I, and I think it's important, I think it's intentional, here we are at a, at a point where there is nothing about God in any of those verses. And I think what we are meant to see in this is just evidence of more decades of Israel drifting from God. I mean, sure, things seem to be at peace. There are no enemies mentioned. Uh, But we know that when God's people respond to times of peace by forgetting him, we know the table's just being set for a season of oppression sooner or later. 
you know, to drift away from God is to drift away from the divine protection that's found in fellowship with him. And, and by protection, I don't mean that bad things never happen to those who walk with God, but there is a comfort and a protection in God's presence that we miss out on entirely when we are willfully uh, moving away from his presence. And so Israel is drifting, and Israel indeed does drift. In verse 6, we read that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asherahs and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, basically the gods of everyone around them at this point. And this is uh, an even lengthier list of now gods that they are prostituting themselves out to. And then the author writes that because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. And so he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. And then for 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. And the Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim, and Israel was in great distress. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said, we've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And this is a bit of the same old story, right? I mean, if you imagine the Holy Land there, you've got some tribes that are living on the east side of the Jordan. They're clearly being oppressed. You've got forces crossing over the Jordan from the east into the western part of Israel. And these other tribes that are listed are in great distress. And in the midst of all of this trouble, Israel is crying out to God like they do so often. Things don't go well, they turn to the Lord. They remember that God has proclaimed of himself, that he is gracious, that he's forgiving. And I think oftentimes it can be really easy for people to choose evil, God's people, to choose evil, while in the back of their minds they're thinking to themselves, I'm going to come back to God at some point. If this doesn't work out for me, you know, the temptation's there before them. They, they want to go for it, but they're thinking in their minds, if this doesn't work out for me, uh, I, I know I can come back to God, and I know he'll forgive me. I'm confident in how gracious his forgiveness is. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a friend some years ago who had fallen in love with a woman who wasn't his wife, and so he was determined, choosing to leave his wife because he really wanted to be with this other woman. And, and when, it, when it all came down to it, he says to me, look, James, I know I shouldn't I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know, it's, I know it's wrong. I know it's not God's will for me, but I also know that God is going to forgive me and I'm, I'm going to be all right. And I was like, what am I supposed to say at that point, right? I mean, I could, I could say, no, adultery is the unpardonable sin or God won't forgive you this time or what if you die in a car wreck while you're living in sin or, or I could handpick a few verses and make a claim that, you know, God isn't going to forgive. And, that, and that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. But, you know, in the end, I kind of, I remember just kind of fumbling through this response of, well, yeah, I mean, he, he will forgive you, probably, but I, I still think you're going to regret it. I don't think you should do this, you know, because choices have consequences. I mean, God's a God of restoration and healing and forgiveness, but, but oftentimes when we're faced with people who are choosing sin, we tend to feel like we need to draw a line here, right? I mean, God forgives, but sin is still a problem. And where we have problems... It's understandable. We want to draw lines. We want to protect ourselves. We want to make it clear what's right and what's wrong. And so watch what happens, because this is one of those times in Scripture when God draws a line, as he's faced with people who, are, uh, who have chosen sin uh, well in the back of their minds, perhaps thinking, well, God will just forgive us, and now they're crying out to God. And so this is, this is an unusual part of the story. This is a little different than the same old story we've been listening to. 
In verse 11, the Lord replies to them. So they've, they've been oppressed by people. They've come to their senses. They're turning back to the Lord. They're crying out. They're asking for help. They're saying, God, we've sinned against you. And he replies to them and he says, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Moanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? Yes, Lord, you did. Verse 13, he says, but you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. He says, go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. What is God saying to his people? These are the people that God has called out of the rest of the world. These are the people through whom God's plan is to reconcile all the nations to himself. And yet to them, he is saying here, you've crossed the line. I am no longer going to save you. It's, it's as if God, you know, drew the line and said, you're out. And there's a, there's a few places where this happens in scripture, you know, where the infinitely patient God of everlasting love says to the people like, enough, I am drawing a line. I'm cutting you off. And, you know, I imagine him like reaching down, drawing a line in the sand and over here on my side is the almighty and over there is Israel and the pagan nations and their gods and God's saying to them, hey, there is no help coming from this side of the line. I am staying over here. You know, the last 70 times, seven times that you've been unfaithful, I have forgiven you. I've crossed the line. I've fought your battles for you. I've restored you. But this time you're on your own. I am not going to save you. These would be hard words to hear from the Lord. Really hard words. Um, I don't know what to do. When you hear these words, what do you do? I guess you give up all hope, right? But look at what Israel does. Verse 15, the Israelites said to the Lord, yes, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. And then they got rid of their foreign gods among them and they served the Lord. And I, I read this line this week and it, it is just, it's astonishing. You know, the people are saying, okay, we hear what you're saying, God, uh, but we are not going to turn to these other gods for help. Even if we're on the outs, we're still turning to you. And, and not only that, but they got rid of their foreign gods and they began to serve the Lord. They turned away from their foreign gods. They repented of their idol worship and they began to serve the Lord. And of course, the scripture, sto sto the scripture story is full of people repenting uh, with hope that God will forgive them. But this is one of those unique situations where... Um, they certainly don't have any hope from what God's told them about how their repentance might, you know, might cause him to change his mind or to move on their behalf. I mean, this is repentance happening in the absence of a hopeful message. Uh, you know, we tend to offer calls to repent even now, hand in hand with the promise of restoration, right? But God has spoken to them and he said to them, look, you are on your own. As they're turning to God and crying out to him, he's like, no, I am not hearing it. You are on your own. And this repentance of theirs is, is now running so deep that they're not just saying, we've sinned, save us, we'll return to you. No, they're asking for mercy, yes, but this cry for mercy is somehow submitted to God's lordship. They say, your will be done. Do whatever you think is best. And then, without any promises of God coming and rescuing him, or rescuing them, Israel ends up actually throwing away their idols and they end up resuming and living for the living God. 
You know, this repentance isn't just a prayer or it's not just a service they had one time where they all got together and wept over their brokenness and then, you know, left from there. This repentance marks a new way of living in Israel. And, you know, part of the purpose of this whole series has been to highlight our own modern idols. And I really believe God is using the book of Judges to identify modern idols that we need to cast out. Some some idols that we need to repent from following. You know, some of those might be cultural idols like the Baals and the Ashtoreths of, of Israel's day in the book of Judges. You know, the values and the convictions of a fallen culture around us from a fallen world and these things leach into our own faith and corrupt our own relationship with God. And others of those modern idols might be the idols of our own making, like Gideon a few weeks ago making his custom golden ephod, the, the devotion to our own hand-picked Bible verses and, and Bible principles that can make aspects of our Christianity some false form of what God intends it to be. You know, the custom idols, a version of God that looks a lot more like me than the God as he's revealed in Scripture. It's like making a custom idol. And at the end of the day, any part of our faith that isn't built on Christ and him crucified and any revelation of God that doesn't look like our self-sacrificing Savior on the cross, any of that stuff that's hidden in our spiritual lives, it becomes like a snare, threatening to choke out our fruitfulness and threatening to subject future generations of our faith to suffer violence and division. And so we would hope that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about these places in our lives where we have maybe bent our knee or put our hope in things or people other than the living God of the universe. And I think today the challenge for us is to trust God to do his part. Because it's only he who can search the secret matters of our own heart. And so I think there's an exercise in this, an invitation in this for all of us to open ourselves up to the Lord. And to, and to do more than just prayerful soul-searching in this season, but to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, are there idols in your life? And to cast those things away. Get those things out of your house. Get rid of it. You know, repentance is, is more than a prayer. Repentance is an action. And one of the really encouraging things about uh, this part in the story of, of Israel is that their repentance takes full action form. And I would hope that as we read through this part of the story of Israel, by the time we get to the end of this book, I, I am hoping that our lives will be lived differently, that in some way, shape, or form. I'll just acknowledge right now that probably every one of us who's a part of the body of Christ can repent for something, can see growth and change in our lives. And so I would hope by the time we get through this book that we, that we will be living differently. Now, I haven't read the last sentence of verse 16 yet because as astonishing as Israel's response is to God, as astonishing as this humanity committed to repentance, even with no promises of hope, um, as astonishing as that is, this last part of verse 16 is probably the most astonishing verse in the whole story. Verse 16, it says, they got rid of their foreign gods among them, they served the Lord, and then it says, and God could bear Israel's misery no longer. And you think about what's being claimed by this verse here, and I would submit to you that Israel's repentance has moved God, getting back to the lion in the sand analogy, it's like it's moved God to slide his foot around and erase that line in the sand and say, you are no longer on the other side of the line and help is coming. Uh, you know, what are you saying, James? Are you saying that human behavior changes God's mind? Well, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that. 
but I really don't know how else to understand what I've just read here. You, you know, it, it, and, it, and it isn't as if humanity can rule or exert authority over God or manipulate him into doing what they want him to do if they just pray hard enough or pray right enough. But it would seem that scripture teaches us that God has shared authority over humanity's fate in this world with humanity. And that when people exercise that authority through repentance and they align or realign themselves with God's will for humanity to bring them life and blessings and not curses, it would seem that God is quite willing to sweep away lines that he has previously drawn in the sand. It seems he is willing to relent on judgment and he is willing to pour out mercy when humanity really commits themselves to repentance. I think part of our struggle in embracing this truth is that we don't really think of authority the right way. I mean, sure, God could have made all of us to do what he wants us to do by simply controlling everything in the universe, like the great puppet master of some conceptualizations of Christianity. But how much greater is one's authority when those who are under them do their will of their own free volition? You know, I know for me as a father, I dream of a day when my sons will cut the grass in our yard because they saw that it was getting long and they care about what our yard looks like. And not just because I told them they had to go cut the grass. And at that point, if I ever achieve it, and I may never, but at that point, if I ever achieve it, I imagine my parental authority has just achieved a much higher existence than it had ever had before. It's accomplishing something far greater than anything that pulling the strings of a puppet master can can pull, right? It's now brought their heart for our yard in line with my heart for our yard. And so they're living out my will for our yard, and we're getting to live it out in, in perfect harmony together. Our God who reigns above it all, I, I really believe that he reigns in this way that the creator of the universe, who certainly could have made the whole world his puppets, instead has gifted creation with the ability to impact our own future and to impact our own world. And the beauty of the gospel story is that God enters his world and interacts with his creation and patiently and, and gently at times and other times more firmly, he, he, he moves creation into line with the created purpose for it. And I think that God just loves it when he sees us embracing our opportunities to repent and to move in line with his will within the freedom of our own will. And I think that God, in that moment, when he sees us moving in that way, I think he loves to make the lines and the barriers and the impossibilities and the proclamations of punishment. He loves to just make all of those things disappear when we repent because he can because he can. Not that he's changing his mind like humanity, you know, he's not a man that he changes his mind, but he has, he is committed to humanity's reconciliation to himself. So even when in their rebellion, he draws the line and he says, you're on the other side of the line, help is not coming. He is quick to erase that and come to the rescue uh, because that's his will for humanity. And so for you today, if if you're walking through hardship, if you're struggling in some area of your life, I just want to encourage you, turn to God. If he could not bear the misery of Israel 
any longer. I guarantee you, he won't be able to bear your misery forever either. So continue to cry out to him. I promise you, help is on the way. God is faithful and those who put their hope in him will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you relented and you were patient with Israel in this day, uh, even when maybe they didn't deserve it. Uh, We thank you that you erased that line in the sand and you came running and you brought deliverance. Um, We thank you that in our own lives, uh, as we continue to cry out to you in our own places of need, uh, we thank you that we are crying out to a God who hears, a God who listens, a God who sees, and a God who is willing and able to rescue us from all things. And so we put our hope in you this week, and we just ask you to come quickly. Come and save us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.